Well, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 38. Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 38. That's the text that the Lord in his providence has given us to focus on this morning as we make our way verse by verse through this book of of Luke. So Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 38. And let's start by reading this text. Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 38. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. This is the last section before we enter into the garden. And this section is incredibly insightful and helpful for us as believers in Christ. So what we're seeing in this section is the Lord's timely preparation of the disciples for the world's rejection of him. In other words, the Lord's preparing the disciples for the world's response to him. He's preparing the disciples for the world's response to him. They're going to need to be ready. So I've entitled this message, since this is the main point of the unit that we're in, I've entitled it, Preparing the Disciples for the World's Response to Christ. Preparing the Disciples for the World's Response to Christ. That's exactly what's happening here. The Lord's preparing the disciples for the world's rejection. The Lord is preparing the disciples for the world's response to him the world's response to the gospel and the world's response to his faithful messengers. He's preparing the disciples for this. If you remember in this section, the progression of this has been that the Lord first was eager to eat the Passover with the disciples. They went into the upper room And he spoke of his substitutionary atonement. He would be now the perfect lamb who was slain so that those who trust in that lamb could escape 
God's judgment. He was the reality of the Passover. He was the fulfillment. His death would pay and atone for the sins of sinners, of repentant sinners. He spoke of the new covenant in the upper room, how his blood will seal this new covenant. Relationship with God will no longer be according to keeping ceremonial laws. It would be according to faith in him and be secured by his blood. God will transform a people, give them a new heart, and he will keep them. He'll put a new spirit inside of them. That's the new covenant. And so coming out of this meal, Jesus speaks of an assortment of responses that will happen in response to him and his death. There will be an assortment of responses. Crisis and opposition will abound. The response will not be reception. The response often will be rejection. Christ is sovereignly in these scenes post-meal. He is sovereignly overcoming all of these oppositions and crisis. The responses are just one after the other. Listen, there will be the response of Judas who will be one who betrays him and he'll overcome him as we've seen in this section through condemnation and judgment. Judas will betray Jesus, but he will be judged because of it. Then we see the response towards Jesus by the disciples in general. That's in verses 24 through 30 in that same section. Judas's response just right above it. The disciples, they respond with pride and misunderstanding. And Jesus overcomes that by revealing the truth to them, teaching them, but encouraging them and saying, your temporary failures will not condemn you because you've remained with me. Coming from that, we see that we have the response of Satan. That's in verses 31 through 34. So it will be the response of Judas, the response of the disciples in general, the response of Satan to Jesus. What will Satan do? Well, Satan will attempt to accuse Peter and the disciples of having ingenuine faith. He's going to try to accuse the disciples of having false faith in Christ, being false converts. You're only following God because of what you'll get out of him. But once you suffer, you're going to turn away. And Jesus will overcome that by his sovereign control of Satan. He will use Satan's temptations for the good of the disciples and strengthen them and turn them into men whom he wants them to be through Satan's temptation and trial. And so God will use that for good. And just a side note, God does the same in your life if you're a true believer in Christ. No matter what Satan brings into your life, God uses it for good. And in that respect, believers don't ever really have to worry about anything. Because no matter what trials or sufferings come into your life, the Lord's promise to those 
who have believed in him, who have trusted in his name, is that he'll, he'll use all things for good. So you really have nothing ever to worry about, no matter the suffering or trials you face. So then there's the response of Peter. Peter's the leader of the apostles. He'll be tempted to fall away. He'll experience severe testing. His weaknesses will be exposed. His sin will be exposed. His flesh will be exposed. That's the response of Peter. We got Judas, the disciples in general, Satan, the world, uh, uh, Peter. And, and, and then now we move into the response of the world. That's the section we're in right now. Verses 35 through 38, Jesus is giving one last response, and that will be of the world. And the way he will overcome that is by preparing the disciples for it so that they're ready, so that they're ready. He'll overcome Peter's lack of faith by his intercession, by his help and his continued forgiveness. And now he comes to the fact that the world will respond to him and he's going to overcome it by preparing the disciples. What will the response be? Well, the response of the world will be rejection. They're going to want to kill him. They're going to want to reject his truthfulness. The world will want to reject his deity. The world will, will reject his lordship. But not only will the world reject Christ, his message, his truthfulness, his lordship, but the world will reject his messengers, those who represent him. They'll be despised. They'll be seen as foolish. They'll be lowly. They won't have the world's riches. They'll be seen as inferior. The world will despise them, think less of them, hurt them physically, seek to reject what they say. The world won't provide for their needs. They'll face hostile rejection as the messengers of Christ. They'll receive no fame. They'll receive no accolades from the world. They won't be celebrated for their year-end production. They will be ones who are despised, rejected, constantly criticized. They will be the ones who have to remain faithful under trial. That will be the scenario that they face. And this is pretty contrary to the American expectation of ministry. The expectation is church growth. The expectation is fame. There's church growth strategies and they abound. The expectation is excitement and lights and cameras and action. And yet Jesus here says that the expectation of faithful ministry should be and will be rejection by the world, not reception. And so that says a lot that reception is often at the expense of compromise. And what Jesus is doing here is preparing his disciples for the response of the world. He will overcome the world through this preparation. 
the preparation of the disciples beforehand. He's going to remind them, listen now, because this is true, and this is what you must remember. If you're going to be a faithful messenger and disciple of Jesus Christ, one who brings his message to the lost world, this is what you must expect as the norm. You must not have unbiblical expectations that really serve the flesh. You must be faithful to the message and have the right expectations. He'll remind them of the truth. He'll remind them to trust in him. He'll give them the right expectations. He'll prepare them for how things are about to change once he leaves. And he'll encourage them to remain faithful no matter what. This is his preparation for the disciples. The Lord Jesus Christ himself will be rejected and then his followers will be rejected. And this begins in the very next scene in the garden. I mean, you don't have to look far. This is coming soon. And so the disciples must be prepared. And let me tell you that all true disciples of Jesus Christ must be prepared for the rejection of the world. If you're going to listen now, if you're going to submit to the lordship of Christ, if you're going to commit to a holy life, if you're going to commit to faithful gospel ministry, I mean faithful, you can compromise And in some cases, we fall short, but some will consistently compromise in order to be received by the world. But if you're going to commit to faithful gospel ministry, speaking the truth with a hope that people would be saved, if you're going to commit to holy living, if you're going to commit to submission to the lordship of Christ, you must be prepared rightly and you must expect rejection and hostility from the world. You must expect that. This is what Jesus is preparing his disciples for. And this is what all true disciples of Jesus Christ must be prepared for. And by the way, if you disciple others, this is what you must also prepare them for. That they will face rejection. He's going to make men here who accurately and clearly represent him. You look at the history of the men who represent Christ. If you want to know if these expectations are right, think about history. Think about the prophets. What was the response to the prophets by the world? What was the response to the apostles here? What's the response to missionaries around the world? But ultimately, what was the response to Jesus Christ? And you tell me if your life should break that pattern. The American church is off base. Off base in its expectations. Faithful messengers of Christ must expect the same rejection that Christ received. They will reject the person and work of Christ. They will reject the word of Christ. And we must be prepared for that as we seek to proclaim Christ. In Luke 6, Jesus said, woe to you. Listen now. Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. The false prophets, the one who compromise, the ones who compromise the truth, were spoken well of by all men. And we should not be like them.
So we must listen to the Lord's words here. We must listen to the words of the Lord. We must, must be faithful disciple, disciples of Christ, expect rejection from the world, not compromise nor be surprised as if something strange is happening, not expect a different result, but expect hostility, hostility from the world. And so Jesus will explain and prepare his disciples here. How does he do it? How does he do it? He prepares his disciples for the response of the world by speaking first, two points this morning, of God's provision in verse 35, just two, two sections here. God's provision in verse 35 and two, the world's rejection in verses 36 through 38. God's provision and the world's rejection. He prepares the disciples for the response of the world by speaking first of the Lord's provision and then speaking of the world's, uh, the Lord's provision and then the world's rejection. And let me tell you this. You just want to encourage you. Coming from this, you should be people who stand firm on God's word who do so with love, but who stand firm. Let me just tell you, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the world says to you, or what the world does to you. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're faithful. All that matters is that you're faithful. And the Lord wants to bring disciples who will not look to being received by the world but we'll look to being received by God one day in heaven. And so the Lord will prepare these disciples. Let's look at it. Verse 35, we see first the Lord's provision. God's provision in verse 35. In verse 35, it says, and he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, nothing. This is how the Lord starts. Verse 35 starts with the word and. This is the same setting as the upper room. In other words, Jesus just got finished telling Peter what would be exposed in his life, his weakness, and this is now the same setting. And now he turns to all the disciples and has another lesson for them to prepare them. He's been preparing the disciples for some time now. And he said to them, he said to them. And this is the disciples he's preparing. And by the word, uh, by the way, the word, uh, the, the phrase said to them, in verses seven, uh, from verses seven to verses to verse thirty-eight, which is the upper room, and he said to them appears seven times, meaning from verse seven to verse thirty-eight, Jesus is a teaching machine. He's teaching these disciples one thing after another, and now he's saying this to them. He's preparing them. He's a teaching machine. He's finally got this time alone with the disciples before they're killed. And now he's, he's preparing them and he's preparing them for the world. And verse 35, 
He says, when I sent you out, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals. Now, what is he referring to? Well, just turn back a few chapters in Luke to chapter nine. A few chapters in your Bible, Luke chapter nine and verse three in chapter nine. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And so what Jesus is referring to here in Luke chapter 22 is back in Luke chapter 9. It wasn't that long ago. They remember exactly what he's, what he's talking about. And that was, Luke chapter 9 was the, the disciples' internship. It also appears in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, it also appears. This is the internship. This is after they were saved, after they were called to ministry. He, would, he sent them out, and he hovered closely over them. He sent them out to proclaim and he hovered over them. He, he, he was close to them. They would go out and they would experience the difficulties of ministry. And then they would report back to Jesus. And he would teach them. He saved them. He called them to ministry. And that was their internship, so to speak. Their training. The ability to spread their wings and yet have the safety net of Jesus underneath of them. And so this is what Jesus is referring back to. And he did the same thing with the 72, if you turn back to Luke chapter 10. Turn back to Luke chapter 10, or if you're in 9 still, turn ahead. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, we see there he sent the 72 out. And look at verse 4 of chapter 10. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road, Jesus sent the 72 out there. And the point is, is that they would be provided for through the ministry of what they did. And the Lord would providentially provide. So go back to Luke chapter 22. This is what the Lord is referring back to. And in verse 35 of chapter 22, Luke said, or uh, Jesus says, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, here's the question. Remember, think about this. Reflect back on this. Did you lack anything? Did you lack anything? Remember back. And the way that this is posed in the Greek, it expects a certain response in the way that it expects a negative response in the way that it's posed. And in this sense, it's asked, didn't you not lack anything? Didn't you not lack anything? And the expectation of the response is nothing. We, we didn't lack anything. You're right. And so he's reminding them, not so much even calling them to remind themselves. He's reminding them. Didn't you not lack anything when I sent you out? And so Jesus 
and his preparation for the opposition of the world, the hatred, the hostility of the world, the hardship and the sin of the world, Jesus reminds his disciples of his provision, of his provision. This doctrine is clear. The Lord provide, uh, provides for his people. And so listen now, listen close. This is true of every disciple. They will be alone. They will be accused. They will be abandoned if they're faithful, if they're faithful. If they want to act more like the world and walk away from their faith, none of these things will be true of them. But if they're faithful, they will be alienated. They will face adversity. They will feel as though they're under the mercy of the authorities of this world. And yet, the Lord will continue to provide for them. The Lord is not subject to any of the world's demands or authorities. They must ultimately trust in the sovereign provision of the Lord. And every disciple must remember that. Even as they face the hostility of the world, they must trust in the sovereignty of God. And that God provides for his people. Turn back to Matthew for a second. Chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 34. Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 34. And I won't read all of that. You can do that later. But listen, starting in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy Know where thieves do, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious of your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about uh, uh, your body. What you will put on is life, not more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are not you of more value than they? Here's the point of what Jesus is saying. Make my mission. My righteousness, living for me, making me known, make that the priority of your life. And the disciples could say in response, well, Lord, if we make that the priority of our life, who's going to provide for us? How will we receive what we need? And he says in response to that, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. He says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Seek first my kingdom. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Because you're making that the main priority, you may wonder how you'd be provided for. And he says, don't make that the priority of your life. Trust in me, and I will provide for your life. That's what he's saying here. Make the mission of God the priority and trust in the sovereignty of God for the provision. 
That's the goal of the Christian life. The mission of God is the priority the sovereignty of God provides. And so Jesus is telling his disciples these same things in verse, 20, or verse 35 of chapter 22. Go out, and as you go out, as the world responds to you, remember that I provided, as you have made this mission your mission. And so this is, this is Jesus' teaching. Also, let me tell you that in Jerusalem, the Jews were very hospitable, so they opened the homes. But especially, listen, you have to listen to this, okay? Because this is embedded into this text. Some of the positive responses towards these disciples in the past, in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 10 to the 72, some of the positive responses in terms of their provision from the people was because of the messianic expectation at that time. They expected the Messiah to come to bring an immediate kingdom, and so they had a favorable response to his quote-unquote disciples. They were false converts, temporary followers. They would turn back when Jesus didn't meet their expectations. But at that time, they were providing for the Lord's servants because they had an earthly, fleshly, immediate, prosperous expectation of the Messiah. So not only was the Lord providing, but Israel was providing for these disciples who were going out because they expected the messianic rule to provide benefit for them. But once the Lord is killed, all those expectations are out the window. No one's expecting that of the Messiah anymore. They're saying this wasn't the Messiah. He died. Therefore, anyone who claims to be his disciples, uh, we want no part of. You won't be in our home. We won't provide for you. You'll have to provide for yourselves. So the Lord reminds them of the provision, but also reminds them that times are changing. Times are changing. You were received before, but you won't be received anymore. This will happen after his crucifixion, his rejection by Israel. So the world will no longer welcome you. There's going to be a change. Continue to trust in me. And so then he moves into this second point here of the world's rejection the world's rejection, verses 36 through 38 in Luke chapter 22. Verse 36, he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. This is the rejection that they must expect from the world. Listen now. Verse 36, after he tells them of his provision, verse 36, look at them. Look at the verse. He said to them, but now... Remember when you went out before? You didn't bring anything with you. I provided. There was great reception. Now, expect something different. Be ready for something different at my rejection. What's going to be different? The response of the world will be different. Remember, things will be different. 
Christ will be rejected. He'll be arrested. He'll face death. He'll face national rejection as God's Christ. The nation will no longer welcome his teaching nor his disciples. Instead, they will be persecuted and hated. Luke 9 describes them as sheep among wolves. Luke 12 says that they will be brought among rulers. Luke 14 says their family members will be their enemies. Matthew chapter 5 says that they, must, they will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And Jesus says they will, hate because they will hate him because he exposed their sin and their evil deeds, and they will hate his disciples for the same thing. John 15 that I read earlier, don't be surprised if the world hates you. Expect the same response as the Lord. And so the world would respond now with rejection. And so verse 36, he says, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. The Lord will provide through now the means of, of you providing for yourself in that sense. Ultimately, the Lord is providing, but the world will not receive you anymore. He says, the one who has money bag, take it because of the hostility of the world. And he says, likewise, a knapsack. You will not only be rejected in the, Lord, in the world's provision, but you will be rejected in their reception of you, into their homes, into their families. And then he says, also a sword. Take with you a sword. Let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Now, these three are not the only things that will be denied to them by the world. And what, how are these to be understood here? Well, they're figures of speech. They're figures of speech. Jesus is not telling his disciples to live by the sword. He told Peter later, if you live by the sword, then you'll what? Die by the sword. I mean, that's, that, that, that's right after here. Luke chapter 22, verses 49. Just look at verse 49. And when those who were around, uh, um, around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said, what? No more of this. Matthew 26 we see that there's uh, uh, the same kind of response. And then uh, we see that in the, the book of Acts, there's no violence in response to the persecution. And so, in fact, T Peter took this uh, literally in terms of the sword, right? As Peter often does, he probably said to the Lord, oh yeah, I'm ready. Let's get the swords, right? Right? Now, now, let me say this here just because it's helpful in your biblical, uh, in your study of scripture. When I say that the Lord is speaking figuratively here and not literally, you shouldn't come to the conclusion that the Bible is not to be read literally. You are to read the Bible literally. That's how you will understand it. Most of the misunderstanding of people when they read the Bible is because they interpret everything allegorically. There's no allegory in the Bible. So when you read the Song of Solomon, for instance, there's not allegory, it is literal. And so you, you don't have to be looking for some mystical meaning behind the text. It is a man and his lover and it is to be read literally. 
So when I say don't interpret this, you, this uh, Peter took this literally and, and that was wrong. What I don't mean is don't read the Bible literally. You should be reading the Bible literally. But within that literal reading of the Bible, the Bible uses normal literal language. And some of those literal ways of language are figurative sayings, figures that point to a reality. Some literal reading of the scripture is metaphorical. Some literal reading of the scripture uses parables. That's still literal reading of the scripture. Don't assume that there's some mystical response behind the text. Take the most plain interpretation of the scripture, but there's also uses of figures of speech, etc. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's speaking to greater realities than just these things. He's speaking of the fact that they will not be provided for financially, money bag. They will not be received into homes and families, knapsack. And they will face physical hostility and persecution, sword. That's the expectation here for the disciples. And so in contrast to the former instructions for mission, Full provision is now required, but the point is, is that it's due to the rejection of the world. It's due to the rejection of the world, right? This is, this is, the, this is the preparation. They must be ready for this. The disciples must be ready. They must be ready for this. And so the Lord will sovereignly care them, but care for them, but they must expect rejection at every level. They must prepare in these areas. Now, how do we know that he's telling them to bring these things and prepare for this due to their res- the world's response to him? How do we know that he's specifically talking about that? Well, it's pretty simple because we see it in verse 37. For... The reason, the grounds for which I'm saying what I just said is, I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. Be ready for rejection from the world because the world will reject me. That's what's being said here. He says, expect this. Because this must be fulfilled. And he quotes Isaiah 53, 12. You can turn there. Isaiah chapter 53. Turn there in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12. Isaiah 53 is a very popular chapter. We all know it. But it makes clear that this is where he's quoting from. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the what? Transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for these transgressors. He quotes Isaiah 53, 12 here. And this is not necessarily a reference to the fact that he will die a criminal's death in in association with sinners. It really speaks of his substitutionary atonement, meaning that he will be counted 
he will die on behalf of sinners. He's going to be rejected in order to die on behalf of sinners. Therefore, he must be rejected. His people will therefore, his messengers be rejected. And this is where this whole thing revolves around. It all revolves around this, this message. Jesus is preparing his disciples because what must take place is the fact that he must be rejected to die on behalf of sinners. And this is written about and it must be fulfilled. Jesus's sovereignty is still very much on the scene here. And so how will he overcome the world's rejection with the disciples? He will prepare them for this rejection but it is also because it is also according to his divine plan. And so this is what Jesus is making clear here. And so in verse 38, though, we see that they've misunderstood this, right? They said to him, look, Lord, and this is them again, misunderstanding. Here are what? Two swords. Here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. They don't understand at this point, right? This is, they're missing the point. They'll get it. They'll get it. And so what Jesus is making clear here is that he will suffer. He will die. His death will be rejected. And therefore, his messengers will be rejected. And they must be prepared for the world's response to him. If Jesus' disciples are not ready, then the world will overcome them. And this is what every disciple must prepare for. Listen now. Listen. This is what every disciple must prepare for. And every discipler must prepare their disciple for. Faithful followers of Christ who seek to live holy lives, who seek to submit to the Lord, and who seek to carry out his message, who don't compromise, who make the mission of God their priority, will be rejected by the world. If that's, a, if that's foreign to you, then what you need to do is do a check on your faithfulness. Because if there's not that kind of response in some way in your life from the world due to your faithfulness to the Lord, then you're probably not being faithful. Because that should be the expectation, not that we seek it but that we seek fake faithfulness. Lord's disciples should expect rejection from the world because of the world's rejection of Christ. And so these disciples must expect that and we must expect these things as well. So as we close, let me ask you, do you have these right expectations? Or have you bought into the American version of Christianity? your expectations that your ministry in whatever capacity will explode and the world will love you and you'll do whatever you can to be winsome enough to win them so that they like you? Or will your focus be to remain faithful and truthful no matter the cost, to endure the hostility of the world, to have the right expectations to trust in the Lord's provision. I wonder if you've had the right expectation and if Christ has prepared you in this way 
But I pray that you would all be men and women who are faithful to the gospel of Christ, no matter what the world says or does. Know that a servant is not above their master. If they persecuted him, they will also persecute you. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask that you would do this preparatory work in our hearts. The disciples here are ones who were to remain faithful. They would go out. They would remember that the Lord provided, that they lacked nothing. And yet they would expect something far different in response to his death that the world would now reject him because he wasn't the Messiah that they wanted, the Messiah that they expected. He was different. He didn't bring immediate prosperity or an earthly kingdom that was prosperous and popular and powerful. And so because the Christ did not meet the expectations of the world, the world rejected him. And therefore, the disciples must expect that the world will reject them. And Lord, we must have the same expectations. Because of the rejection of Christ, let us expect that the world will reject, but let us be prepared. Let us be prepared and let us trust in you. Let us not compromise. Let us remain faithful. Let us seek to do so in love, but to not be surprised or despondent or to compromise when we face the world's rejection. Help us be faithful disciples of you. These disciples in their faithfulness would overturn the world. They would turn over all of Satan's work and the lives and the hearts of people. They would see people come to repentance and faith. The church would grow. They would build Christianity upon, the, upon their teachings because they remained faithful to you. A slow work, but a sovereign and steady and godly work. Lord, we pray that we would have as much faith to remain faithful under trial, to not be surprised when the world hates us, and to trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.